welcome back to The Mentors. This is Vadim. And Sergey. And this is a show where we tell stories of ordinary people that became extraordinary entrepreneurs despite lack of experience, money, or connections. And we have a gentleman here today with us, Wayne Mackey of State Space, who has a very intriguing story, very unlike anything that we've heard. Vadim and I love to talk about how most entrepreneurs that we meet who are successful entrepreneurs actually either didn't have experience in the field that they were starting off before or they just kind of jumped in and this is the first time they've been an entrepreneur and for Wayne I think he's been an entrepreneur for a long time in the making but I want to go back in time a little bit here because I think you have a pretty interesting story that actually even led you to New York because um, you're you're not really a city boy you're from no. uh, <laughs> you're from a town in Ohio tell us about your uh, your upbringing there because I don't think it was obvious that you were going to be a, a PhD in neuroscience and start a company around that afterwards. <laughs> no, my uh, high school teachers, probably if they were to find out I have a PhD in neuroscience, would be like, no, no, not <laughs> that guy. I thought he'd be in jail or something. I don't know by now, but, uh, you know, not a uh, neuroscientist slash uh, startup CEO. But yeah, so I'm originally from Youngstown, Ohio, which is a small, I mean, it's a city, but, you know, not like New York City, but it's a small, you know, uh, city, the kind of Youngstown, Warren area. There's a bunch of little towns around there. We all kind of condense into one thing when talking to people not from there, at least. <laughs> um, but yeah, I grew up there. It was a big uh, steel town. You know, uh, the 80s came and, you know, the steel went away and, you know, led us into kind of, you know, economic depression that to this day, you know, sadly, um, our city has not has not really grown out of. I mean, and you see, you know, in the news now, like the stuff about the GM plant in Lordstown shutting down and stuff like that, right? I mean, that's right around the corner and was, uh, you know, who employed, you know, one of the biggest employers uh, in the area. But that's what a lot of the jobs were. It's a lot of factory jobs, a lot of manufacturing jobs. Um, and, you know, I remember my grandfather, when I was growing up, was like, it's just not like it, it was for, for you kids now, you know, for, for my grandfather in high school, he was making more money than his teachers, he would say. And, you know, he went to school and then he went to work in the, in the mill. Um, he had a job for life as long as he kind of showed up. And, you know, around there, that's what, what everything was about. It was just about kind of, you know, hard work, showing up every day and kind of putting in everything that you had. So, you know, regardless of not necessarily having a very technical upbringing in the beginning, um, one thing that we, we do really have there is that just kind of a grinder mentality, a kind of a hustle mentality, really, really hard work. And that's something that, you know, I was fortunate enough to have uh, family and just a community of that instills those values in you that I think, um, you know, is super important and, and is really what has helped kind of lead me to where I am today. But yeah, Youngstown, I mean, you know, lately we haven't been famous for a ton of stuff. We have, you know, a lot of some athletes, some pro boxers and stuff like that, and football players. We had, you know, number number one homicide rate per capita in the U, in the U.S. for a little bit. We had a recently highest concentration of poverty uh, in in the U.S. So you know, not not known for much. All of this is basically to say, as I was growing up, you know, uh, college wasn't something I really, really thought about. So, you know, my parents didn't go to college. My grandparents, it just wasn't kind of a thing. But I really, really loved video games. Um, probably more than I should have, uh, you know, over the years I've lost, you know, jobs and relationships probably from playing too many video games, but you know, yeah, college wasn't really an option. So high school, I was terrible. I barely graduated high school. I had, uh, I finished with a, a stellar 1.9 GPA. So, so even though you had kind of a, a hard worker mentality from 
from the upbringing that you had, still high school wasn't really for you. I mean, why did your yeah. teacher think you would end up in jail? So there's well, got to be something there. I think it was really, it was really boring. I was the disruptive kid. I was really, really bored. Um, you know, in elementary school, they'd ask my parents, they're like, this kid's bored. You should skip him a grade. But I actually, another kind of weird Wayne fact, I didn't hit five feet tall till I was in like 11th grade in high school. I was really, really tiny. They like tested me for growth deficiencies and I was growing up to like, I don't know why this dude is so small. Um, so my parents were like, no, he's already like the tiny kid in class. We don't want him to be like the, the tinier kid in a, in a larger class. Um, I think I was really, really bored and just didn't see the purpose. You know, I, I didn't think math and science were cool. I thought they were useless and, and stupid. And I didn't care about the kind of things that I was being taught. You know, uh, okay, if two trains leave a station at these times at these speeds, like I didn't see, I was like, who cares? Why does this matter? You know, and a lot of kids, you know, I have, you know, younger cousins and, uh, and uh, family members. Now, you know, they say the same thing. Like, why do I need this crap? Why do I need math or anything like that? Because, you know, you don't really see the use of it, maybe necessarily in the time, just from like math textbooks and science textbooks. You're like, why should I care about this? So for me, it was, I think it was just, I just didn't care. And I put that hard work into other things. So, you know, I love video games and I thought I want to make my own video games. So like eighth, ninth grade, I started teaching myself how to code. And that's really what I became um, obsessed with a lot through high school. So, you know, there was, was before Coursera and the internet really where you could, you know, uh, learn how to code through some sort of online class. And it was more like decompiling software and trying to break things and put it back together and like AOL 2.5 hacking programs and stuff. That you know, that was kind of where um, I got my start, and I was just fascinated. I loved it, like the idea that I could build something that like worked and did things. I was fascinated, um, and even in uh, in school, I remember sitting there writing like Visual Basic code in my notebooks, and like I can't wait to go home and like type this in and see. Like I'm like I was like just obsessed with it. I I completely fell in love. It was how did you get exposed to it at such a young age? And did, was it even normal to have a computer, like a personal computer at home? Yeah, so it was. I didn't have one until high school, till it was like until ninth grade, um, and I was just obsessed with it. Um, I thought it was like amazing. But I, I think really I cared about computers because I cared about gaming and like Nintendo and stuff. And I was like, oh, I want to make my own. How do you do that? I just was like, man, I have all these ideas. These games could be so much better if you could do this or that, or I wish I could do this or that. Um, so I think that that's really what led me to... Um, to even taking an interest in coding computers was really because I could make video games. And along the way, I learned you could, probably, you could do other useful things uh, with computers other than, than build video games. But I think that was probably the start. And yeah, you know, it was dial-up internet, 14.4 connection. So there are definitely times where I remember coming home and just sitting, waiting for like hours. Like AOL used to have the, the like little waiting beep. You'd like dial up and it'd be like, and you're like, oh. I would sit there for like hours, like just trying to get a connection to AOL. I was also terrible... Uh, some of these things maybe I shouldn't admit, but, um, you know, like I was really into hacking and just like stuff like that. So that also kind of helped get, get my start on, you know, being interested in code and what you could do with it. What's uh, the weirdest thing you did there? Did you like hack into the school's uh, program? And change no, 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 no. But we would do like, um, like stuff that it really isn't, isn't that even cool today. Like, you know, I remember on AOL, there were like internal accounts that you could get. So a lot of it was just like password sniffers or like engineering to get other people's accounts. And then you could create accounts uh, off of that. But like AOL internal accounts were like, uh, like gold because I, I remember one of the reasons we want them because you could like scroll and chat there was no limit like otherwise it would like rate limit you so you could do the, like these macros where it could be like spirals uh, in text like scrolling down you could just kind of be annoying I guess was, was what it was but it was more of like oh I could do this like 
you know, uh, I'm like, you know, 13 years old and I can, I can do this. Um, I, I think it was more pushing those limits that was just really, really fascinating that I think for me in general was a longer learning experience maybe than most, but like taking off those ceilings that you put on yourself uh, or that you think exist that really don't. Um, and I think that was just another small like microcosm of that. But like, you know, a computer kind of taught me that some of these limits and things that I didn't know that I could even do, you know, I could do. And then over time, there just became more of those small examples that built and built and built that kind of, I think, built my confidence and, and eventually tore down that ceiling of just like, you're going to, you know, you're going to work in a factory. You're going to work in these things. You you can't go to college. You can't do these things. Um, and eventually gathered enough evidence along the way um, that made me confident in uh, going, kind of going against the, the grain. But what happened when you graduated high school? Because you said at this point you still didn't think college was... No, 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 no. So, I, yeah, I graduated high school and I just went to work. That was kind of what, what everybody did. You know, you went and you got a job. Um, I worked various uh, jobs. So everything from working in a plastics plant to waiting tables to... Uh, the longest thing I did was probably like sales and sales management, business and sales management, probably a total of, of about 11 to 12 years. Oh, well. What kind of sales matter was it? I think you mentioned it was a car dealership. Was that? So I did. I did sell cars uh, in uh, car sales management, uh, retail sales management. My first job was like in, in a call center where we were the super annoying people that would cold call you and ask for like donations and stuff like that. Um, you know, in the beginning, I was really interested because, you know, it was for like raising money for like disabled veterans or like firefighters and police officers and stuff like that. And I thought, oh, this is like a noble, cool uh, thing to do. I realized that like only, they only got to keep like 3% of what we raised. It was kind of, <laughs> it was crazy. Um, but, you know, that's actually where I got my first management job. I, I started out, you know, as a caller and just because of the high turnover and stuff like that, I uh, became a manager after like six weeks, uh, which was, which was crazy, but it was, um, you know, it was awesome. It was, it was fun. And, you know, getting a taste of that, uh, I think it was something I just really enjoyed, really enjoyed like working with people, um, putting them um, in a team and kind of supporting them and helping them solve their own problems. You know, I, I just really, really thoroughly enjoyed that. And I think I got more satisfaction out of that than like solving my own problems. Um, I think it just felt much, much more, uh, much more rewarding and, and found it a bit more challenging and just really liked, uh, really liked that. So I think that's why I kept on with the sales management uh, stuff. I just really enjoyed kind of working in that team environment hiring people and, and helping, you know, teach, train them and, and help them grow and whatever it is that they wanted to do. And that's one of those things that in my uh, life before being a founder definitely was very helpful uh, for the position that I'm in now. It feels just very natural. Um, uh, and, and I learned a lot of a lot of things the hard way that I think, you know, give me a unique skill set, you know, in the, as a founder now without much experience that, um, you know, allow us to do some things that are a bit contrarian in our approach to how we do things at the company that I think have, have allowed us to get where we are as, a, as an early stage company. And so what was the turning point for you? Because, you know, you, you're doing these jobs for better part of 10, 11 years, and you're enjoying some of them, some of them not so much, but all the while you have this sort of sleeper skill set in the background that yeah. could actually make you probably a ton more money yeah. <laughs> uh, and have more potential, yet you didn't really make that connection. So when did you make the connection that, you know, as an engineer, that, that could be a career path for you that could lead to other things? Yeah, I mean, I think it was it was a bunch of small things that just, I, was, I really ended up being driven by spite. Uh, really, which is a, a very powerful motivator. So I think it was, 
you know, I, I actually, um, so you guys can see, but other people probably obviously can't see because it's a podcast, but like, you know, I'm covered in, in tattoos and maybe I remember, I also had like really long hair. I remember I applied for a job at Office Max when I was like 19 years old. Uh, they were like, great, but you have to cut your hair. Your hair is too long. I'm like, okay, this is weird. You want me to stock shelves? Well, who cares? Um, and I was like, no, so I'm not going to take that job. Eventually I ended up like shaving my head anyway because it was just too hot outside one day. I was like, this is, this is enough. I got tired of being confused for Hanson when I went out in public. Um, and, you do have uh, a Hanson vibe. No, yeah, I got like, I got asked for my autograph at like Subway, Pizza Hut. Yeah, like it was, it was, it was severe. Like I, I really, really kind of like looked like the lead singer from Hanson to, uh, to a degree. And I was like, and I was like in a metal band at the time, so I was like a big no-no. Like you can't be walking around <laughs> looking like Hanson and then trying to be like, you know, in a metal band. It was weird. So I think it was, you know, so I got like Office Max was like, no, you can't work here. You have long hair. I got fired from um, Applebee's for not. We had this weird policy where for one time where we had to ask for two forms of ID to serve somebody alcohol, um, and I only asked for a driver's license and not two forms of ID and was fired. I mean, this is crazy. Wow. And then I got tattoos on my hands and got fired from the Olive Garden. <laughs> I was like uh, a waiter there, and they're like, "No, uh, you got to go. You know, we can't have this." It was, which is also, it was just so crazy to me. Um, and now I'm like, every time I go to an Olive Garden and see someone with tattoos, I'm like so proud and excited. Like, yeah. <laughs> I helped pave the way for you. So I think like those experiences were just like, I think I, I, I felt I felt like I deserved better for one. I felt like, you know, I'm a smart guy. I'm a really hardworking guy. I don't deserve to lose my job because, you know, of these particular things or because of the way I look or something. You know, this is this is messed up. And I think um, a lot of it was was just frustration of, you know, going from sales job to sales job or even sales management job to sales management job, um, you know, working in the mall and seeing other people. I, I think... For better or worse, that's one of the things that broke down the ceiling for me of like, I think I grew up thinking college was like for the others. It was for, for people, not us. Um, it was for people that were smarter, people that had more, people that maybe came from a different background than we did. Those are the type of people that go to college. We go to work and that's it. We go, we're going to go work in a factory, we're going to do whatever. Um, that's what we do and that's fine. Like it wasn't like, there wasn't anything wrong with that. It was, we were very proud of that. But I, it just, I didn't think that I was of the type of person that could go to college and be successful and kind of have that kind of a thing. But then also growing up and then seeing some other people who had gone to college and kind of work with people who had gone to college and then think, we're not so different. This person isn't, you know, this person isn't much smarter than me. This person isn't like, why, why can't I do this? And, you know, we talked kind of before, uh, you know, before we started recording, I, I did mixed martial arts and like fought competitively. And there's some terrible YouTube videos. You can see me, you know, getting knocked out and knocking some people out. But that actually also taught me, you know, about pushing the limits is when you're, when you're sitting there training and you're like, you know, getting beat on or you're, you know, you're trying, you're doing pushups or skipping rope or something. And, and someone is pushing you past your physical limit where you think, you know, I can only do five more pushups and that's it. That's all, you know, that's all my body can handle and someone else is you know coaching you letting you know that's that you're wrong and saying no do five more you think you only do five do 10 more do 20 more and then pushing you to do that and you do it you start realizing like yeah maybe a lot of these boundaries they're just in my head these are just like mental things i'm putting on myself and it was just a culmination of all these little examples piece by piece over you know 10 or 15 years that made me go you know what this is crazy like why can't i do these things and i at 20 i was 26 I started going to college, enrolled. It was funny, I enrolled at, um, first was ITT Tech. <laughs> uh, I went to ITT Tech for like one semester. It was horrible. 
Um, I learned nothing. I think they're shut down now. Uh, not surprising. Um, but I had a cousin who went there. So I was like, oh, you know, so maybe I could do that. He went there. We don't have to take stupid classes like math and science or something. We just do computer stuff. Mm. I went there a semester. It was terrible. And so I went to Kent State University, a uh, little local branch there. And they were like, well, we need your transcripts from ITT Tech. Uh, ITT Tech wouldn't release them. They're like, we'll let you go on like a one a semester for a provisional, you know, semester. You can go for one semester, but we'll need your transcripts after that. So I went, I had straight A's. It was great. I couldn't get the transcripts from ITT. They wanted to like pay me, wanted me to pay all this money. I'm like, this is crazy. Um, and then Kent State kicked me out. They're like, no, uh, doesn't matter that you have a 4.0. Wow. We need these transcripts of these credits that wouldn't transfer anyway. It was kind of crazy. And I had a uh, professor actually that you know was one of those other people that I think helped transform my life he was a uh, an English professor and just stuck up for me and he like went to uh, the teachers and to the dean and to the administration was like this is crazy he's one of the brightest students that we have we're missing out on not letting him go here for you know for some some bullshit basically some uh, some crap like this is silly um, he's a great student he's very talented uh, you know, they weren't having any of that. I'm still in touch with him to this day. You know, I think that even even having him stick up for me was the other little piece that I needed that was like, you know what, I do belong here. I can do this. I can do more than these limitations was having somebody, you know, a professor stick up for me and say, like, this is a bright kid that can do things like you guys are sleeping on him. Why are you you know, this is kind of crazy having someone stick up for me like that, I think also gave me that that extra push and drive that was like, you know, man. I can do this and help help me believe in myself. Um, I went to a community college instead after that. I moved to Columbus, Ohio, um, so I could go, so I could continue to go to school. I went to a community college. They didn't give a, you know, they didn't care about the ITT stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I went there to kind of continue my education. I was a CS major and I hated it. Um, it was super, super boring to me because I had already been coding for like 15 years. So it was like, well, you know, I don't want to make a calculator. This is boring. You were a full-time student at the yeah. point? Yeah. So I, I was a full-time student and I worked full-time, you know, because I had to. And got a promotion and moved from uh, Columbus, Ohio. I went to Philadelphia. Um, and transferred to Temple University, which was great. And yeah, I, I worked there full time uh, in sales management positions in retail and took my first neuroscience class there at, uh, at Temple kind of by accident. I thought it would just be like a cool thing to take. I was like, I like, you know, psychology and the mind, the brain. That sounds cool. And I just immediately fell in love. Uh, like first week of that class changed my major. Uh, again, I had an amazing professor there. She was super helpful and kind of helped uh, turn me on to a lot of, you know, what's cool about neuroscience but I think it's like from a CS perspective and like as a computer scientist and someone's you know involved in coding it was like the brain was the ultimate computer it was like the ultimate information processing system but it was this weird like alien technology that we didn't understand and people were trying to figure out they were trying to like reverse engineer it basically which is the same way I taught myself how to code so I, I was just fascinated I completely fell in love changed my major like the first week of that class I joined um Started doing uh, research in the behavioral medicine department at Fox Chase Cancer Center uh, with a colleague of that professor who taught that class, um, and then eventually joined that that professor's lab. Moved on to a neuroimaging lab where studying like, you know, the early days of like brain training and stuff like that, computerized brain training, which I thought was was uh, super interesting, uh, and doing like fMRI and stuff. At that point, honestly, I still didn't know what 
I really wanted to do. So I, uh, I was like, maybe I want to be like a neurologist. At this point, I thought I wanted to go, I want to do something, I want to continue to go to school. I either want to go to grad school, law school, or medical school. <laughs> um, and I didn't know what I had a chance of getting in at. So I like took the LSATs. Um, I was like, you know, I, I think I could be a good lawyer. That sounds like something that would be cool. I started talking to a lot of doctors. I was like, you know, maybe I want to be a neurologist or something. They like quickly convinced me of not doing that. <laughs> then, you know, what I really, really loved was science at that point was neuroscience. I just didn't think I had a good chance at getting in because I had only done it for, you know, a couple years. I didn't have any publications. I didn't, I just didn't think I was that competitive. And, uh, you know, thankfully I was wrong. So I applied, I ended up not applying to anything but grad school programs. And I thought if I don't get in this first year, fine. I'll go get some more experience. Um, and maybe I'll apply another year. I applied to like seven schools, ended up getting in at, at five of them. And it was funny because in my, uh, interviews, they were, um, they were not quiet about the fact that the reason I was there was because of my coding background <laughs> there, you know, multiple, they were like, listen, we can teach the biology aspect. Like that's, you know, there's books and there's things that we can teach. And, you know, part of it is learning that along the way. It's much harder to teach engineering and coding to students who don't have that background. So, you know, you being able to come in and kind of code things off of the bat, you know, is a, is kind of a big help to the lab. So, you know, that was a great, I'm so thankful that I learned that skill. You know, it opened a lot of doors for me, even from, from a very young age. Um, you know, it was very valuable. So, uh, you know, I, I'm very thankful that I, I took the time to do that. And so, but still you, you know, you're studying, you're taking classes, you, you fell in love with psychology and neuroscience, mm -hmm. um, and you're developing that skill set. yet you still didn't see yourself as a professional engineer in a way, or somebody that could be one. I think that I just wanted to do more. I wanted to, what I liked about, so I did like experimental, but also a lot of theoretical computational kind of neuroscience stuff where we treated the brain as a computer or machine uh, that, you know, there's an input to this device. It performs some computation on it, and then we see some observable outcome. So treating the brain like a computer in, in inter, inter, interfacing it as if I'm an engineer, um, you know, was one of the things I, I really liked. It was like being an engineer, but in a scientist at the same time and like working with this weird supercomputer. Um, so I felt that that was a more rewarding kind of, um, you know, implementation of my engineering skill set was to be able to, you know, break ground and come up with new things uh, in that sense and apply it to something I thought, you know, and still think obviously is very important. And also I was obsessed with the discovery process. Like I loved that you know, we knew nothing about the brain. We know nothing about the brain. We're, you know, we're in the dark ages. And um, that wasn't scary to me. It was fascinating. It was like, I could really contribute here and learn things that no one else could learn. Like, you know, as my PhD, I think the coolest thing that I got to do was I, I found and got to name a new part of the brain. Like, that's that was amazing and that's like a you know a super cool thing i would have never thought again as a high school student it's like oh you know one day i could grow up to discover and name a part of a part of the human brain but i so i think i i at that point i definitely still saw myself as being a professor and an academic and having my own lab there's a there's a people don't understand there's also like a big entrepreneur aspect to that i mean you basically are running your own small business you know you wake up you decide what you want to work on what's important you know you have to get funding even getting your phd you know they're grooming you to kind of have that position and you need to learn these skills you need to think independently and critically and not rely on your mentor and your phd advisor for your ideas and solving problems 
and you know, a lot of the science aspect, again, I think primed me for the position that I'm in now and, you know, starting a company. So having the background of like being, you know, in management and working with people for 10 to 12 years, then having that critical kind of scientific mindset and approach and data-driven approach to problems, how we measure data in problems to in things to identify problems and, and come up with best solutions. The idea of learning and listening to users and like taking in data and information before coming up with a solution does not seem foreign to me. That seems completely natural. So I think all of those things really, it was just the perfect confluence of like skills, interest, and timing. Uh, here being in New York, which is amazing, you know, that was, that was another weird thing to adapt to was, you know, going from Youngstown, I, I had like a a drowning and opportunity problem. Uh, you know, in, in Youngstown, opportunity doesn't really exist. There are so many people that worked harder, that are smarter than me, that are still there. Um, and the same thing, in, you know, when I was in, in Philadelphia and things, I, I, there's so many other people that just didn't, weren't as fortunate as I am or, or had the opportunities that I have to be here that could be here. So you're taught if an opportunity comes, you got to run through it. So going from like a scarcity of opportunity to coming to New York where there's so much opportunity and especially, you know, if, you, if you're a hard worker, you do a good job, it leads to more opportunity. You know, I came up, I was just taking everything that came my way. It was like, here's opportunity. I got to run through it. I got to run through it. I got to run through it. Uh, and then you realize you can't really do that. You'll just be drowning in, in, in things and there's too much to do. And, and, and balancing that was definitely a, a, a tough skill to learn uh, in the beginning. So then take us then to, you, you did your master's at NYU. You did your PhD. What was the PhD in? Uh, neuroscience. So I did my pro- cognition and perception here at, here at NYU. At what point you're drowning in opportunity, which is a difficult <laughs> thing for a lot yeah. of people, and especially a lot of young people who, you know, you might be in a big city, you might be in a, in a university um, where there's just a lot of potential jobs you could do or things you could be yeah, doing with yeah. your life that could be interesting. So how did you land on starting State Space? Where did the idea of it come from? And, and how did you decide to go all in on that? particular opportunity yeah it's definitely true i mean a lot of my colleagues so obviously as a grad student and then even as a postdoc you don't make much money that's tough being here in new york right you know 40k a year while i was in my phd i also did it i was you know very productive it took i did it in four years um i got married and had two kids in those four years which was another reason i had to get out uh and you know finish the phd as quickly as possible so i could make a little bit more money uh, kids in New York are not cheap. <laughs> and I stuck around and did a postdoc uh, at NYU. I was fortunate enough to get funding from the Simons Foundation, from the National Science Foundation, uh, while I was uh, you know, a full-time academic. But yeah, a lot of my colleagues went off to do become like data scientists. Uh, you know, that was a big new thing here. It's like, oh, well, now they're making 120, 140K. I'm making 40K with a family here. You know, there was that, I think that started to pry me away and think of what other things I could do other than, you know, the academic path and a tenure track job, which, you know, there's, there's few of, and it's a small percentage that get them. So I think I was already in the mindset of thinking about other things of what are my options and what do I want to do and what really makes me happy. I've always had that kind of entrepreneur mindset. I think, Surya, you're right that that's it's kind of you know been in my genes you know uh in, in high school i kind of did things on the side i had like a web design freelance company for like 20 years i was always hustling and doing something when i sold cars i tried to develop a new way uh using software to sell cars instead of like as a salesman because people hate salesmen i was always kind of trying those things so that kind of mindset was already there 
when uh, you know gaming really changed over the last even five to seven years, and still you know was constantly playing games and seeing the change, you know, gaming growing up and being like a professional sport. As someone who you know grew up playing Mario, that seems so strange to me, but then so natural at the same time. And starting to see like professional coaches, team owners giving talks at like the MIT Sports Analytics conferences and stuff, and like talking about things that problems that they had uh one of which was was common that i kept seeing come up over and over was like they were looking for the analogs in gaming to what in traditional sports would be like how fast you could run how high you could jump how strong you could be not necessarily like how many points lebron score you know against the celtics last week but you know how um what are the constituent fundamental skills that make you good at gaming and I thought that was just so fascinating and an, an easy problem to solve as a neuroscientist because I was like, well, this is, this is a head-up sport. It's, it's, you know, it's hand-eye coordination. It's decision-making. It's cognition and perception, these kind of things that we've done uh, you know, in the lab for years. And I think that that was just so, so exciting. But I, I really sat on the idea for, for like two years. It happened, you know, it kind of talked to some colleagues about it and stuff like that. I didn't think it was a serious enough thing to do to kind of like okay, I'm on this path to become a professor. I have a wife and kids, you know, can I put this to the side and, you know, go, go do this? I thought it was, you know, still not necessary. I thought it was a good idea. I didn't know that other people may or may not think it was a good idea. I ended up starting joining the um, uh, startup competition here at NYU, the intervention competition. Uh, we applied in like the last five minutes. Honestly, we were like, ah, sure, why not? Let's kind of do this. I thought it would be a fun experience and, you know, just maybe see is this is this cool? Do people care? Uh, I think even at that point, I didn't think like, yeah, this is going to be, I'm going to do this now. It's going to be like the full-time thing. And it had a great experience. We ended up winning that competition, learned a lot along the way. Uh, I think that was, uh, you know, an eye-opening experience started. Was this just an idea at this point when you applied for the competition or did you actually get something? Else? It was an idea when we applied, but then during the competition, I built up a demo to kind of show the idea and you know get people to uh to kind of to kind of play it start to be able to get some feedback and also show that this was something we could build and not not just a kind of an idea that you know i actually have the skills to do this and this is something that we could put into the world uh, and actually see if people care about uh beyond just being an idea so we ended up winning that competition got some advice to apply to like some accelerators incubators around town talk to some kind of early stage vcs and thought okay let's you know let's go for it after we you know we got into some of the accelerators and stuff and after we seen the interest i think that was also validating it's just like okay you know, I don't just think this is a good idea. There's actually validation here that this is a good idea and that it's worth pursuing. And, and I loved it. I loved, you know, obviously, again, talking about the perfect confluence of like skills, passion and timing. I mean, a gaming company, you know, that uses neuroscience, that was like, that was, you know, that was my life. That was perfect. Uh, I couldn't have asked for, you know, a more aligned profession or company to, to create or work for. What a fascinating story of a guy who took years to figure out his own untapped potential. And it took moving and actually having a few core people believe in him for him to realize what he's capable of. Tune in next Wednesday to hear part two of the story of Wayne Mackey of State Space, where you'll learn about how he was able to launch his company, what he learned about the truth and the difficulty of fundraising, and how he was able to grow his company in less than a year to hundreds of thousands of users. Tune in next week, and we'll see you on Sunday.